talking about getting saved about, or getting recommitted, you know, just getting your heart where it needs to be. But a mind reset isn't so much talking about salvation as much as it's talking about discipleship, making a decision to follow him. Come on. So oh, I made that decision a long time. Yeah, you may have made that decision, but are you still following? And some people are, you know, follow from afar. And that's not West Virginia for fire. That's far from I'm sorry. <laughs> so we need a mind reset, perhaps quite often. We need to change our thinking. As the little video says, we're being bombarded now. Someone said 6,000 commercials a day. All that's bombarding on her and all the negativity. And I don't know about you, but I'm to the point where I just, I don't know if I want to watch the news anymore. I mean, you actually can get literally stressed out just watching the news. And you get angry. You're throwing things at the TV. It's like, oh, come on. You say, well, that's fake news, but my channel's not fake. No, it's all fake news. I mean, it's, it's, it's gotten to the point where it's just about making money and trying to have a message that gets you worked up so that you'll stay angry and you'll, you'll, keep, you'll keep tuning in. Amen. Well, I'm tuning out. and I, I, just, I just want to keep my mind on the Lord. Come on. Amen. Amen. Now, this message can change everything if you get this message, and if you if you start, you know, really beginning to flow in this thought of changing the way we think, not just being saved so you can go to heaven, but actually changing the way we've been talking about getting your DNA changed. We're talking about how you know stop doing the things the way your family always did them. Stop doing things the way the generations have kind of, or the world is conforming you, but being transformed in your mind. I, let's read that in Romans 12, one of my favorite scriptures. You know, I quote it all the time. But let, let's look at it in the Passion. We're familiar with the King James. So Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies. Wow. I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God, to be His sacred, living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delights His heart. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Amen? Then verse 2. Here's what you got to do. Here's how verse 1 works. Are you, here? Are you here? You can take a nap this afternoon. Don't nap now. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. We don't think we do, but we do. The church has become Americanized. That's a whole nother sermon. We've become American. I'm not so sure the gospel we preach in America would even work in South America. 
Because it's all about a lot of things that aren't even the gospel anyway. But be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit. How? Through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. Can I get an amen? Let's look at some of the wording here. First of all, in the King James, it says, present your bodies, which means to literally to stand beside, to to make a presentation. If I were to present somebody this morning, I would bring you up. You would stand by my side. I would say, this is so-and-so. I'm presenting you to the church. That's what it means, to, to step up and to stand beside. Present yourself to the Lord. I think that's a good thing to do every morning. Get up and say, here I am, Lord. I'm presenting myself to you. And then it says, be not conformed to the world. That word conform means literally to to be united or to have union with a certain figure. Don't be united with the way the world thinks. Now that includes the way they think about money. The way they think about leadership, the way they think about organizations. I I, I know the church could learn a lot from business practices, but the bottom line is we're not really a business. Lord, this is like this is like running a wheels. Okay, we'll put wheels on the sled, amen. But he says, don't be conformed, say man, but be transformed. And that word from, I like this, from biology, okay? The definition from biology is a profound change in form from one stage to the next in the life history of an organism. In other words, like going from a worm to a butterfly, I like the scripture says, I'm a worm and no man. Yeah, yeah, you're a worm, but I tell you what, if you can get your mind transformed, you'll start, you'll, you'll take flight. You'll start being more like a butterfly instead of that worm. Can I get an amen? But then in, in geology, there's this definition. I like this one. A change in the structure or constitution of a rock. feel like I'm preaching to rocks. I, a change in the structure or constitution of a rock due to natural agencies such as pressure and heat. Didn't he come to baptize us in the Holy Ghost and fire? That fire, amen. That fire. In the old days, they said fire was hyper-emotionalism. No. Fire is, is really judgment. Fire is purging. Fire is cleansing. So I want the Holy Ghost. Are you ready? Because the presence of God has to burn out impurities for you to really walk in the power of God. Can I get an Amen. We, we, he sometimes puts us under pressure so we can see, he knows what's in there, so we can see what's really in there. 
That's why some of you, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, you're surprised by what comes out. Because maybe it was in there all along. So when you hit your thumb with a hammer, what should come out is, oh, hallelujah. Thank you anyway, Jesus. I just praise you, Lord. <laughs> now that I have a black nail, oh, hallelujah. And we're not even going to talk about what, what the other stuff comes out of your mouth. We're not even going to He said we have to go through a process of renewing of the mind. And that word renew means to renovate. How many of you watch HGTV? Come on, just be honest. I love HGTV. I love the renovation stuff, right? You go and buy this unbelievable house that nobody would even live in, right? But it's got good bones. I'm here to tell you, you have good bones, I'm here to tell you in your natural state, you're okay. What God made you to succeed. God made you to be blessed. God made you to be happy. God made you to have joy. God made you to do something great in this life. God has made you, oh, somebody say amen. You have good bones. Fist bump someone say, you got good bones. That's not awkward, right? We have good bones, but... Mm. My, 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 my. Aren't you amazed at what they could do for that house? They totally renovate that thing. Man, I'm, I'm watching. Oh, oh I, I like to do some of that. that that's great. And they'll, they'll take the kitchen and the living room and, and the bedrooms and everything, and they'll just totally remake you. And you see the before and after. That's what it is. But he says, listen, I can't lay my hands on you and you be instantly renovated. Don't come up here and say, Pastor, lay your hands on me and I'll be a different. No, don't work that way. It takes a renewing, say renewing, of the mind. As long as you think like the world, you'll never act like a kingdom. If you're going to act like kingdom people, then you have to go through a renovation. I should have titled this sermon, This Old House. And let God just completely renovate us. Come on now. And then he says the purpose, say the purpose, the purpose of this renovation is not so you come in here on Sunday morning and like strut your stuff. No, the purpose of the renovation, watch this, what does this say in Romans, is to discern God's will. In other words, we change our thinking so we can know his will. You know what that also means? If you don't change the way you think, don't act like you know his will. You know what I call it? Some people, some people uh, there was a preacher on Facebook. He was all, all upset because... He had this. Uh, can- he started a second campus, and then after a few years, after they built it all up, the campus pastor decided, "I heard from the Lord, and I'm going to start my own church." Of course, he started it by stealing everyone in the second campus. Yeah, he heard from the Lord. You know what I call? I call that playing the God card. 
using God to justify what you really want to do anyway. That's the God card. Just lay that trump card on you, and I win every time. It's hard to argue when people say, well, God said. I mean, what are you going to say? <laughs> False prophet. Start flipping a stone in your hand. I'm watching. Let, let's be careful that we don't allow our emotions to be confused with the will of God. And it's real easy to happen because we want something so badly that we actually think God wants us to have it. But if it leads to confusion and a lot of hurt feelings and a lot of ugliness, I really wonder sometimes if God's in that. Are we preaching yet? Are we preaching yet? The purpose of renovation is so you can know God's will, but if you're still thinking like a carnal person, you can't know God's will. Paul said we have the mind of Christ. We need a change in our thinking. How many times have I preached about the Beverly Hillbillies? Right? And the point is, they got millions in the bank, but they still live like they're in total poverty. Amen? They actually think the pool is a cement pond. Ducks go in there. No, the pool is for your enjoyment. I wonder how many of us don't know. You know, God wants things for our enjoyment, and instead we're putting ducks in the pond. We got money in the bank and don't know we can dress differently. We've got blessings in God's bank, amen, and we're not drawing on it. We say dumb things like, well, I guess it's God's will that I be sick, and I guess it's God's will that I can't pay the bills. I really don't think that's God's will. Come on, somebody help me in the house. It's time to change the way we think. Give God a praise if you know what I'm talking about. No, really, give him a praise. If y'all don't wake up, we're going to do spiritual calisthenics. <laughs> I heard I don't think so. so. <laughs> Come on. Hey, I'm 65. If the old man can do it. Now I don't know where I am. Jesus, help us. Beverly Hillbillies, okay. Go to this scripture here. How does renovation happen? Because you can't just wish it. You can't just say, okay, tomorrow my mind's all changed. No. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 in the Passion. Watch this now. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets, you know what that is, came with a dazzling measure of glory, the Ten Commandments. Though it produced death, the Ten Commandments will not save anybody. The Ten Commandments are a death sentence because none of us can live up to them. Wow. Did you get it? The Israelites 
couldn't bear to gaze, say gaze, on the glowing face of Moses because of the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. The purpose of the veil really was because the glory was fading. And God never wants us to be in a place where the glory's fading. So he put a veil over his face. Yet, how much more radiant is this new, say, I'm living in the new, and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us. Wow. For if the former ministry, Old Testament, of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? How many know you're living in a more glorious time? Ah, yeah. What was once glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. Wow. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. And I, and I wonder if it's I wonder if that word shouldn't be imputation, but we'll get to that. We'll, okay. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. Watch this. We are not like Moses. He used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from, from staring at him as it faded away, unless you're at work. It'll drift to the back rows. It'll get there. Their minds were closed and hardened. Anybody know someone like that? For even to this day, and he's talking about the Jews, of course, but we can apply this to today. For even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted from them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So there are veils. No wonder it's so hard to witness to some people when they have those veils over their minds. Did you ever say, I don't understand why the whole world doesn't get saved. It's such a good thing. How do people exist without salvation? I don't get it. But yet somehow they do because they have that veil. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. Uh-huh. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Ah, now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit. And wherever, watch this, wherever he is, wherever he is Lord, there is what? Where, there, where he's what? Lord, there is what? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not experiencing freedom. Is he Lord? Just because you're saved, I mean, legally and potentially, you're free. How many know saved people that don't act free? And maybe that's because he's not yet Lord. 
We want to be in charge of our lives, and we want to be free. And the Word of God says, no, you don't get charge of your life. You're not free of your life until he's in charge of your life. Oh, that's deeper. That, uh, bring the ushers back on that one. Huh. We can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces and with no veil. Say no veil. We all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image as we move from one brighter level of glory to another. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Whew. Now that's a lot of word, but did you get it? So the heart changes when the veil's removed, and we move from him just being Savior to being Lord, which brings freedom to us. Now, here's our example that I want to use this morning. How many are here? Say, 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 say on, Pastor. Oh, you got that one. Okay. What? <laughs> Uh, maybe I should apologize for borrowing from another culture, but I just really like that. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. I want to talk about Peter because Peter, listen to me, Peter experienced three gazes. Say three gazes from Jesus. Three times Jesus gazes on Peter, and every time he gazes on Peter. Peter's life's changed. Whew. I'm telling you, if you'll just let, uh, if you'll just spend, he's already gazing at you if you would just look. If you'll just gaze on him as he gazes on you, I promise you it'll change your life. But you got to spend time in his presence. So Matthew chapter 4, watch it. Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers. Now, now listen, you got to get the story here because Jesus had never seen them before, and they had never seen Jesus before. There is no Jesus. No one's talking about Jesus. It's all about John the Baptist. That's it. Jesus just walks, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, and they're casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. Duh. That's what fishermen do. They're fishing. Hello, not as a sport, that's their occupation. So Jesus went to work. Jesus doesn't wait for you to come to church. Sometimes he shows up where you work. Whoo, you mean I got to be spiritual there too? Then he said to them, repent of your sins. Isn't it odd that he didn't say that? I'm still, I'm still trying to figure that out. If somebody has a good answer to that, let me know so I can correct you because you don't have a good one either. <laughs> because he doesn't invite them to salvation. He invites them to discipleship. So I, I'm still working. Okay, I'm still praying about this, right? He said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Huh. Follow me. And so he sees them from, he's on the shore. They're just off in the boat a little bit. So he sees them 
From a distance, watch this, from a distance he sees them and he calls them. So the first gaze is the gaze of the calling. And the first gaze on your life isn't necessarily salvation. The first real gaze is when you decide to follow him, not just accept forgiveness. It's great to be forgiven, but that's not why he died. He died to make disciples. It's quiet in in this house. Are you with me? Uh, I know it's rough because we just think, oh, I'm just here to get my ticket stamped. The gaze of the calling. The second gaze is the gaze of the heart. Now, i got to set this up a little bit. Are, are, are you here? Are you with me? It happens in the courtyard when the rooster crows. Luke, Luke chapter 22, they're at the Passover, Right? That's a long chapter. How many of you know Luke has long chapters? Have you all discovered that? Is that, thank God I'm doing one a day. I don't know if I can do three. Luke 22. So you, you got the Passover. You got Judas betraying them. The apostles, they've been with Jesus for three and a half years, and they're still fussing over who's the greatest. If Jesus could straighten them out three and a half years, I feel better about myself. <laughs> of course, I've had some of you for 30 years. Are you still here? Pray for me. You're not praying for me. Jesus, and so they argue who's, who's be greater. Jesus predicts Peter will betray him. Peter's going, no way, I don't know. They fall asleep in the garden. <laughs> but then let's pick up the story. Luke 22, verse 47. No sooner had he finished speaking when suddenly a mob approached. They're in the garden. And right in front of the mob was his disciple, Judas. How many know Jesus knew about Judas when he called Judas? And yet he called Judas. Wow, that's tough. He walked up close to Jesus and greeted him with a kiss, for he had agreed to give the religious leaders a sign saying, the one I kiss is the one to seize. Talking about a slap in the face. Jesus looked at him with sorrow and said, a kiss, Judas? Today's language would be like, really? Are you really going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? When the other disciples understood what was happening, they asked, Lord, shall we fight them with our swords? Right? Just then, one of the disciples, we know who it was, swung his sword. I think think John tells us, John tells it all, it was Peter. One of the disciples swung his sword at the high priest's servant and slashed off his right ear. I hate it when that happens. Jesus stopped the incident from escalating any further by shouting, Stop! That's enough of this. Then he touched the right side of the injured man's ear. We know from John his name is Melchus. Right side of the injured man's head, and the ear grew back. He was healed. Wow. Watch this. 
They've been with Jesus three and a half years. They still don't get it. But watch this. They asked Jesus if they should fight, but they didn't hang around long enough for the answer. Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay. You already knew what you were going to do. Don't, don't pretend like you're asking like you really want to know. Sometimes we want to do what we want to do. We just feel better if we ask God what we should do, and then, well, okay, well, I didn't hear anything, so. So this whole act of cutting off the ear, you know what this means? That we would rather be in charge of the situation. We'd rather do what we think we need to do to get it done than wait on God for the answer. So people will try to control each other, manipulate each other, cut each other's ear off. And listen, this is important because why the ear? Because really, because of Peter's actions, he cut off Malchus's ability to hear. And sometimes the way we treat each other, we cut off the ability to hear. So God can't work anymore because we're fussing with each other. Oh, this is too, this is too deep. Apparently you agree. <laughs> Are you with me? Uh, it's kind of interesting. Peter, who is on the right side of this issue, right? I mean, he's with Jesus. <laughs> Peter gets rebuked, and Malchus gets restored. Peter's on Jesus' side. But he gets rebuked. Malchus is on the enemy's camp, and he gets restored. Jesus has a funny way to do ministry. Come on now. Sometimes he takes our religious nonsense and makes a point with it and saves a soul in spite of us. He cut off Malchus's ability. I, I just wonder what he, what Malchus, what happened to Malchus after that, after his ear was restored. Uh, I, I, how many believe he just had to wind up being a follower of Jesus? You, uh, listen, if we could just show the goodness of God to this world, if we could show them how good and wonderful Jesus is, come on, instead of fussing with them, instead of fighting with them, come on, church. I, I'm not, I hope you don't think I'm being lame when I say it's time to quit fighting with the world. It's, it's time to quit being angry. We're actually to the point where when something bad happens in the world, we rejoice. Oh, yeah. Did you see what happened over there? Oh, yeah, Jesus is coming soon. Woo! Really? You're... you're <laughs> Jesus did not mean for things to go wrong. I believe things are going bad because we're not praying. Because we're not salt and light. Now, obviously, the world's going to get worse, but at the same time, there's a mighty revival coming to this world. Amen. Quit hiding in the four walls of the church and say, well, this world is beyond redemption. They're all just a bunch of wicked people. I don't know what's wrong with this world. What's wrong with this world is the church has gotten up off its knees, and now it's fighting and, and being ugly instead of loving this world and showing them the power of the Holy Ghost. 
Yeah, there's going to be a great falling away, but there's also going to be a great revival. If you're not careful, we'll be part of the falling away. Let's quit cutting off ears. And let's see God heal some ears so they can hear again. Is this okay? Are you okay? So that I, haven't got to, I haven't got to the gaze yet. <laughs> but we see the gaze. Where am I? We see the gaze. When Jesus, I think there's a pic. Do we have that picture? I don't know if we have it. But remember, yeah, remember Jesus is there in the background in the dark. And Peter's at the campfire. And he says, I don't know the man. Three times. No, surely you must. You know, no one's threatening to throw him in jail. They're just saying, you must know. No, no. I don't know the man. I don't know who he is. Can you, listen, can you get this? All of a sudden, Peter looks up, and Jesus is there in the background. See him? Everyone else is looking this way, and Jesus is looking right at Peter, and Peter's like, oh, no. He even predicted I'd do it. Stupid. Me. I did it even though I said I wouldn't do it. And he went out and wept bitterly. Well, you know, the only difference between Peter and Judas is get repentant. That was a heart-changing gaze. Even after being with Jesus for three and a half years, he still denied him. Aren't you glad Jesus loves us? even though we mess up a lot. All right, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Because none of you have sinned in 20 years. Amen? Except for that lie you just told. All right, so watch this. He's at a campfire warming himself. We get in trouble whenever we see to our own comforts rather than the will of God. And he's warming himself at this fire. It's a strange fire. Oh, you know I could preach an hour here. He's warming himself at a strange fire, a hot, coal fire. And and whenever you start warming yourself at the world's fires, you're always going to deny Christ. So let's get to the third one real quick. i got to hurry up. John 21, verse 15. And we see another campfire. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said, well, back up. You remember they're on the boat after the resurrection. Jesus is on the shore. Peter, Peter, you know, it's the Lord. He throws off his cloak. He he swims to shore. They catch so many fish, you know, 153 fish, and they counted every one of them. Boy, you need to count your miracles when you get them. They counted every fish. They drag them to shore. But there's another campfire. Peter finds himself at another campfire. So uh, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah. Notice he's using his old name, and he's referencing him as son of Jonah. He said, hey, you with the old DNA. 
Hey, you who's acting like your dad. Hey, you who's acting like the old nature, not the new nature. Woo! Come on now. He's, he's challenging him. Come on, Peter. Why are you acting like that when I have come into your life? If you had a change of thinking, you wouldn't be Simon, son of Jonah anymore. You'd be Peter, a son of God. Oh, come on, praise the Lord. Amen. Do you love me more than this miracle? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, then feed my lambs. If you say, I love Jesus, but you're not doing anything. By the way, going to church is not being a disciple. How many times does he ask him? Do I have more up there? Go ahead and throw what I got up there. He said to him a uh, uh, second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Well, you denied him three times. So he's grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Don't say you love God and you won't do what God's called you to do. Well, it's quiet, but it's the truth. This is the gaze. Remember, and then he says, when you're, when you're younger in the spirit, you walk where you want to walk, but when you get to a place of maturity, you don't do what you want to do anymore. You do what he wants you to do. Do you get that? Do you get that? I know I'm going long. Are you okay? So watch this. Let me, let me close this. The music te worship team, come on. This is the third gaze. This is the gaze of love, but not just any kind of love. It's the gaze of loving mission. It's one, th listen, you can do things for God and not have love in your heart. Remember that sermon we preached a few weeks ago, a month ago, whatever it was? Remember that about going through the wall? And sometimes before we go through the wall, we do things, but we do things for maybe the wrong motives. But after you've been, anybody been through some stuff? Anybody? After you've been through some stuff and you're still standing, and you're still serving, you still love Jesus, though you've messed up and other people have messed with you, but you've gotten through some stuff, and now you're doing things for a whole different reason. Now you're doing stuff because you love Jesus. Doesn't matter if anybody pats you on the back. Doesn't matter if you get any recognition from anybody. You're doing what you're doing because you love the Lord. And you want to feed his sheep. Oh, God, I feel him in this house. The gaze, the third gaze, the gaze of a loving mission. Wow. It's who we are. That, song, that song's been on my mind. It's who we are. I am who he says I am. 
And listen, I, let me go back to something I said, and I'll close, but it, sometimes it's not so much about impartation. It's not about somebody else putting something in you. It's about imputation, and imputation means it's put in you, not on you. And God has imputed, say imputed, God has imputed who he is. You have the mind of Christ. Wow. You're holy not because you've done everything right. You're holy because holiness lives in you. Oh, that's, that's, I know that's, I know that's a whole nother sermon. He has imputed himself into you. He's given you his DNA. He spat on the clay and put it on your eyes. It takes the spit. It It takes the DNA to have a renovation of changed thinking. You have to decide this. No one can impart this. You have to receive the imputation of this. You need to say to yourself, I want to think differently. I want the mind of Christ. Would you stand to your feet? Oh, Jesus. I know, I know there's a lot of teaching, and boy, I, I just really had a difficult time this morning, but God's, God's good. I, I, I really believe three people got this message. I really... A changed mind. If you don't, if you don't change the way you think, you're not going to be free. And every time God gives you a promotion, you need to change the way you think. You'll never know God's will until you start thinking like he thinks. You can, listen to me, I don't know if you believe this or not, but you actually get to the place where you don't spend all day praying for God's will. You start moving in God's will because you, you know how he, I mean, you don't really know how he thinks, but you know what I'm saying? You get to that place where that's, that just makes God's sense. You all know what God's sense is? And you begin to move in the things of God because you've been there and you know his mind and you've changed the way you think. It's not about you anymore. Woo! Can you imagine a church where nobody thought it was about them? God's bringing some of you to higher places. God's, God's introducing new anointings, but they're just not going to work if you don't change the way you think. We say new levels, new devils, but we shouldn't put the emphasis on that. New levels require a different way of thinking. Oh, hallelujah. Can we just take a minute? You're waiting on me, but you need to be waiting on the Lord. Jesus, come on. Get your eye, get your eye on him. Oh, the Lord's in the house. Listen, the Lord's in the house. The Lord's in the house. The Lord's in the house. He's in the house. Listen, his gaze, his gaze, his gaze to follow him. 
His gaze is on you to change your heart. His gaze is on you to change your thinking. Do you love me? Hallelujah.